Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Our next guest did not serve in the Army, the Navy, or the Air Force. He's a Marine Corps veteran, and he's also the National Communications Director of AMVETS, Mr. John Holworth. John, good morning, and thanks for joining us on the morning briefing today. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. Well, it's absolutely a pleasure. And as I mentioned, a Marine Corps veteran. And before we get into talking about what's going on with AMVETS and your job there, let's talk a little bit about your military background. So you served in the Marine Corps, but when did you join? Where are you from? And what did you do while you were in? I joined on my mother's birthday, January 10th, 1999 is when I shipped to boot camp. (laughs) And And, uh, I served for four years, seven months, and 15 days. I had a very unusual first enlistment because I hit three duty stations. Wow. Three and four yeah. years, which particularly for the Marines, I mean, you guys tend to go someplace for a little bit longer. I, I would move every two years or so in the Navy, but what made you end up going to three duty stations in four years? Um, well, the first duty station I got assigned to was Yuma, Arizona. It was a, a, a air station there. And um, I could have stayed there for my entire first enlistment. Most people do if they if they just you know do one enlistment. But after a year, I was like, uh, uh, Yuma wasn't the place to be if you joined the Marines and you wanted to get into the thick of things. Right. So I found out that after a year, uh, first termers actually rate orders. They just really never ask for them. Huh. So I, I talked to a monitor. And I told him, look, I, I'd like to get out of Yuma and get, get somewhere else. I'm willing to go to Okinawa. Right. And that's, that's music to the monitor's ears. <laughs> <laughs> so they sent me to um, the uh, 31st Marine Expeditionary Unit in Okinawa. I got to float all over Southeast Asia on the USS Essex. And when that time was up, um, I got my pickup duty stations back in the States, which is great because I always wanted to get to Camp Pendleton. Right. So, so then I got you were able to get there. Yeah, I got orders to Camp Pendleton um, to the 1st Marine Division. <laughs> you feeling me. okay there? Yeah, it sounds like you got, you got a little bit of the same cold I do, maybe. Did you have a cold, too? I think it's going around right yeah, now. Yeah, I slept for 18 hours yesterday. So, yeah, it's, oh. you are not alone. <laughs> I'm okay. I got a lot of work to do too. And it keeps me happy and it keeps me excited. So I try not to think about it, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Um, anyway, I got, I had to extend my contract to have a year left on it to get back to camp Pendleton. <laughs> and, um, they sent me to the first Marine division and that extension, it was like a two month extension on my contract just to get back to camp Pendleton. No big deal. Two months. Right. Right. But it was actually that extension that caught me up in the stop loss for the invasion of Iraq. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I got, um, I ended up getting sent there with the 1st Marine Division under General Mattis, who is now the Secretary of Defense. Right. 
Now, of course, you mm-hmm. served in the Marine Corps for quite a period of time, and then you, you leave the Marine Corps. Think back to that time of your transitioning from Marine to civilian, John Holworth. What do you remember oh, most oh. about the transition period for yourself, and, and what lessons did you learn while transitioning? Well, listen, I was in a, a kind of a unique position because I was stop-loss for the war, uh, for the invasion, and I sent the stop-loss guy that there was uh, in the division back home from Iraq first. And when we got back, we were literally the first guys to get back from war since the Gulf War. And we didn't we didn't have the kind of transition stuff in place. Heck, we didn't even have up armored Humvees. We were still rolling through Iraq in the little canvas doors with the plastic handles that never shut correctly. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, they really just kind of told us, hey, look, guys, um, now that you're back, you're all stop lost. You're on borrowed time. We're not going to keep paying you forever. You've got like 60 days to just get out of here. You can you can get out next week. You can get out at the end of this week or you can get out in 60 days. But in like 61 days, you're not you're you're gone. Wow. So given just two months, basically. Yeah. Which was a very jarring experience because, um, we had just gotten back from a war zone and, uh, we didn't get the opportunity to, you know, apply to college or look for jobs or, or find out where we were going to live or things like that. It it was really kind of difficult. So, um, and we didn't have, uh, you know, the mental health screening things that are in place now. It was just like, all right, guys, see you later. Yeah. Well, and it's unfortunate that it worked that way for so many, but that is kind of how it was. Um, of course, you were able to transition and now serve as the National Communications Director for AMVETS, one of the biggest VSOs out there. How did you come to become a part of the AMVETS team? Well, you know, it was all kind of a straight line um, from picking public affairs out of a recruiting pamphlet when I was a teenager. You know, so... Uh, I ended up, uh, after I got out looking, you know, what am I going to do? I started taking some, I had to move back in with my parents for six months and try to get my life together and figure out what was next. Took some college classes, tried to figure out where I went. And then I ended up getting a job writing for Leatherneck Magazine because writing about the Marines is something I can do, you know? Makes sense. And um, (laughs) that job uh, led directly to, um, writing for the Marines, uh, writing about the Marines again at Marine Corps Times. Um, and that position led directly to teaching military spokesmen as a, an instructor at Defense Information School, where I taught the public affairs officer course for many years. And um, then I spent some time as the Defense Department Inspector General um, public affairs officer. So um, then I talked to our executive director, Joe Schnelli. Um, just got a, uh, Facebook PM from him one day asking me if, if I had, uh, if I knew anyone who might want to be interested in the communications director position at AMVETS. And I told him, well, I'd do it myself. It'd be fantastic. I would love the opportunity. Well, there you go. And that, as mm-hmm. you said, a straight line for John Holworth, Marine Corps veteran, uh, former Defense Information School public affairs officer, instructor, and now National Communications Director for AMVETS. And John, as we know here, we've talked to Joe on the show. There have been plenty of stories on our website as well as, well, just about everywhere yeah. else in the country on a, know, a recent issue. <laughs> Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. <laughs> and that being the uh, the Please Stand ad that AMVETS uh, uh, attempted to get into the the 
the oh boy, what's the word I'm looking for? The pamphlet, the program for the program. Super Bowl. It was yeah, the official Super Bowl program. Yeah. Right. And during that, of course, the NFL uh, rejected the ad, said that they didn't want anything too political being in there. Um, I wrote an opinion piece about that and how I thought that was a little bit hypocritical of them. But uh, it, yeah. it, it caused a bit of a controversy. Well, and and, and this, this Please Stand ad did not run in that program. But there were other ways that uh, the message, of course, got out there. Uh, when and why do you did AMVET start working on this, this Please Stand campaign? We pretty much started working on it immediately. We got the call at like uh, 1545 on a Friday, you know, like late in the afternoon and not just a Friday, a Friday before the long Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. So the very last thing at the end of the day, we got a call from um, the company that uh, the NFL contracts out to fill up its ad space. And they said to us, hey, we got um, we got a full page here. It's kind of last minute. And um, we'll offer you the kind of friends and family rate for nonprofits and last minute and whatnot. But if you're interested, we have an opportunity for you to run a full page ad in the Super Bowl program. And that placement will also come with a full page in the NHL All-Star Game program and the NBA All-Star Game program. And um, we, we immediately kind of like went into a huddle like, wow. We've never been offered this opportunity before. Um, this might be really cool. Maybe we should seriously consider this. Getting the kind of money together for that is not the easiest thing in the world for a nonprofit organization like ours. We spend most of our money on, uh, we're not cash rich. We spend our money on, on finding jobs for veterans and, and helping veterans navigate the VA bureaucracy and, and um, things like that. So, um, we had to go into a huddle and make it happen and engage our board, you know? Right. And they, have, they, they said, yes. Um, they said, Hey, let's do this. This is an enormous opportunity. So we had to go to work like right away, uh, because the creative deadline was not very far away. Right. So they called us on that Friday. Everybody had, um, Monday off. So we really only had Tuesday to work on it. And um, it had to be in first thing Wednesday. Right. So we had to go from like not even hearing about it to concept, to art, to submission in one work day, essentially that Tuesday. Right. And we came up with the please stand ad because um, are you familiar with our Americanism program, Eric? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Uh, promoting patriotism and uh, you know, service to our country and a respect for the flag in the youth of America as an investment in the future. You know, um, that, that's a big program for us. And we thought that, you know, the tenets of that program might be relevant to this particular audience. And so we decided, you know, maybe we should promote what it is we believe in. We think people should stand for the national anthem. So we, we went about kind of deciding this ad to be simple. The more we thought about it and the more work we put into it, Eric, the more simple it got. Right. 
Of course, the NFL eventually said that they didn't want the ad in there. And then there was a bit of a kerfluffle with uh, some veterans on social media saying that AmVets had put forward an ad they knew would get rejected because they knew they would get the publicity out of it. Uh, Is that the case? Did you guys, and and you're the National Communications Director, so you would have a big hand in this. I I would assume you could tell me one way or the other. Was that the goal, to have the ad rejected and then get the publicity out of it that that came afterwards? No, no. uh, People are all at with that. People are all at once giving me too much credit and not enough. Uh, no, that was never that was never the goal. In fact, we spent that money, Eric. That money still got spent. Right. So even though the NFL rejected our ad, the NHL program had already run it at that point, and the NBA program is still going to run it. So it kind of just left the ad agency uh, needing to make that up to us mm. because you know, yeah. So, I mean, there's no big, uh, um, what you call it, conspiracy to get our ad rejected. We very much wanted it to run. But it's it's kind of ironic, though, that in rejecting the ad, the NFL gave us more um, opportunity for to get our message out than we would have if the ad would have just quietly run in the program. It may have never left the stadium. Right. You know, and I, I, I've but seen the social media thing. Yeah, that is that was actually a tricky wicket because, um, you know, I, I talked to some of my colleagues that that came out of a Facebook group for public affairs professionals that I engaged um, after our ad had been rejected. And um, I needed to get contact information for Fox News in particular. Mm. So I went into this group and I said, hey, uh, colleagues, uh, I'm looking for contact information at Fox News. I'm about to issue a press release, and I think Fox News would be particularly interested in it. You know, PM me if if you have uh, a buddy over there or someone that you want to make sure is in on this press release. And it just kind of went off the rails from there because I didn't give everyone the context that they needed um, to, to kind of accurately assess the situation. So... I did get the help that I needed. People PM me with some contact information, um, but they kind of did that quietly. What happened publicly in that group? Did you see it, Eric? I did, yeah. And I, I saw it on Twitter, and I actually got into I, I don't argue with people on Twitter because I don't see the point in that. I like to have uh, productive I didn't discussions. Even either. Yeah, yeah, so I, didn't engage I, 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 had, I had discussions with people about it where uh, I saw the, the post that you had made in the PAO, uh, some PAO group on Facebook. Uh, I'm not a member mm-hmm. of it, so I don't know which one. But uh, I saw the post, and it was taken, and they put it forth as, look, this is proof that he was just marketing it only to Fox News. They created it specifically uh, to appease yeah. uh, the Fox yeah. News audience. But when I yeah. read through it, I asked, where does it say that? He's just asking for a contact at Fox News yeah. while also that reaching doesn't. out to others so i it right. seemed to be presented a little bit disingenuously uh, yeah. to me just looking at it from my perspective no it was and and in fact i actually let it get a little bit worse in there than than it could have been because i didn't take it like i didn't really think people were going to be that crazy about it so uh, you know i didn't think that they would go nuts and off the rails considering what i said mm. um to a group of professionals who should have known, like, um, known better, I thought. So I could have gone in there and given them context. And I, I kind of did. I was like, no, guys, I'm going to release this to everybody. But 
Fox News in particular is going to be interested. That's all I'm saying. Right. And I, I, what I didn't say that, I mean, they had to kind of ignore the fact that I said, no, guys, I'm going to release this to everyone. Right. You know, they had to ignore that. But the reason I said Fox News in particular was going to be interested in this is because just that morning, out of the side of my eye in the office, I had seen them run a segment on Fox News about the NFL's declining ratings and revenue amidst these protests. Right. And I was like, wow, okay, well, I got to put this press release out by the end of the day. The commander's already written this letter and told me he wants me to get it out. Um, and I, I know one news organization in particular has said that they're interested in this, you know, in this issue. So I have to, you know, I definitely have to release this to Fox News. It's like they've asked me to, right. you know. Um, I, I could have told people in the group that, and maybe it would have stopped their their slide toward hysteria. But um, I was just really busy. Well, you know, I think there are those who uh, don't care for specifics news outlets, whether you're speaking of CNN, Fox News. Uh, everybody has their preconceived notions. So as soon as they saw uh, the name Fox News in there, you know, from, from my perspective, it looks like there were some people who that just set them off like, oh, you're just you're that's appealing exactly to the Fox News audience, which yeah. that's that's unfortunately <laughs> the way that conversation goes these days. And in fact, even some of the people that said that and some of the people that put that screenshot out there, some of the conversations I have with them on Twitter, uh, you find out that like you know they they maybe worded it a little bit more harshly at the beginning than even they thought they should have so uh, a very interesting thing that i thought was yeah, a little bit blown out of proportion there i was getting trolled that's what trolls do yeah i mean you know there's way too much of that out there and again i, I wish there were a little bit less and people took uh, a little bit more even-handed approach to everything now uh, taking oh, yeah. taking someone's comment from a, a private Facebook group and putting it out there, that's also, I mean, how many other people are now going to not reach out for assistance in that group because they saw what happened to yeah, you on Twitter? That also comes had to a mind. Chilling effect. It definitely had a chilling effect in there. In fact, the admins reached out to me and apologized for the conduct of the group and tried to rein it in. Um, and people expressed that too. I mean, I'm certainly not going to ask for help in there anymore. And that's a shame because the help was there, Eric. I got the help I needed. It was there. Right. But you just can't ask for it without being piled on by, um, by people who, I guess, I don't know. It's just their thing. They disagree with you and they try to take, uh, it, it looked like in that case to me, again, from an outsider's perspective, it looked like people trying to uh, take something out of context to fit the narrative that they wanted it to fit to try yeah, and make uh, what yeah, you were doing exactly look bad. I, yeah, I don't know if exactly the way you went about it was perhaps the best way to go about it in retrospect. I think you might agree with that, as you've said here, but uh, also the way that they went about it, not the best way to go about it. I think there were, uh, it was just uh, not a good situation overall, I think. But, uh, you know, the Super Bowl's over, as you said. The ad is going to run in the, the NBA and NHL. It is still going to be mm -hmm. out there. Uh, let's move on to a different sure. subject, and this is one we've been talking about the last couple of days, uh, and that is the president asking the Pentagon to look in to the possibility of a military parade. Has AMVETS yeah, looked at huge. this, and what do you guys think? Oh, you know, we kind of took a nuanced approach to it, just like we took a nuanced approach to, to standing and whatnot um, and, and kneeling for the national anthem. See, I think, obviously, I think most of us can agree that the Defense Department has some higher priorities than putting on a parade, and that is the right thing. You know, the mm -hmm. Defense Department should probably be making 
higher priorities of its operational commitments around the globe, of finding and um, ensuring proper mental health care for uh, the veterans returning from war, of establishing uh, robust caregiver benefits for the people taking care of of um, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines with catastrophic injuries. I mean, these are these are higher priorities than a parade. Yeah. That said, a parade's not such a bad idea, Eric. When you consider that the military already has a budget for public outreach, uh, community relations, marketing, and recruiting. Burning that budget is, which already exists, by the way. Right. So as, as long as long as a parade does not come at the expense of other programs that are rightfully higher priority, it's not such a bad idea. The more you think about it, we have a we have an all volunteer force, and I guess it was expected after we got rid of the draft in after Vietnam that patriotism alone would sustain this all volunteer force, but. The trend has always been that we have a diminishing population of people who are even meeting the eligibility requirements for military service. Mm. And among those who meet the eligibility requirements, we have a dwindling population of those who are willing to serve. Right. So, you know, it, it, the way the trend is going, it's unclear whether or not we can sustain an all-volunteer force 10, 15 years, uh, 20 years in the future. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like the closest alligator to the boat, but it's certainly a big alligator and it's headed this way. Right. So I think that as long as the parade is about the troops, it's about celebrating the troops. It's about showing the country and our society that we celebrate these people and that, you know, putting them on display as, um, as, as, the types of people in our society that young men and women should aspire to be right is not, not necessarily a real, not necessarily a bad thing. It could be very good. It could be a better use of taxpayer money than, um, you know, for the, for community relations and outreach and um, recruiting than, you know, flying military aircraft over a domed Super Bowl. Yeah. Or the, uh, the patriotic quote unquote patriotic displays prior to NFL games, uh, that are often paid for by the public affairs, uh, budget for the military. Uh, absolutely. You know, the parade not, itself, not that I'm just trying to bag the NFL or whatever. I'm, I'm making the point that we spend a lot of money on these things. Anyway, they're already in the budget and perhaps a grand national parade where we show our national pride in the men and women who join our services. Um, you know, yeah, it, it could be awesome. You know, and it I, could be an investment in the future vitality of our military at face value. I don't think it's uh, the worst idea ever. I do think the logistics of it, the security aspects of it make it, uh, unlikely to happen. But, uh, you know, I understand the, the people who think it's a bad idea. I understand the people who think it's a good idea. Uh, I understand, you know, why they might look into it and, uh, whether it happens or not, my money's on no, but uh, it's an interesting topic of conversation. Why should we all know, Eric? What's if that? the president wants it, he's probably going to get it, Eric. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there is that aspect of it. But again, as we were talking about with uh, producer Jake earlier, a former Army tanker, uh, getting tanks up here is very expensive and is going to take a lot of time. And as you said, DOD has uh, has larger fish to fry than getting a parade done. So uh, maybe something I on a smaller scale than what people are thinking right now with you know all the, all the hardware going through our nation's capital and stuff like that. Uh, I, right. I think on a smaller scale might be a possibility. Positive, but on the scale that people are talking about now, I don't know how feasible that is. But we'll you know, see. I think people just maybe have a mental image of, you know, um, 
you know, some of the military parades that they hold in other places in the world. I don't think we're talking tanks just just because of the damage they would do to the public roads. <laughs> That's something you do have to take into account, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't think we're actually talking tanks. Well, we've been um, speaking with but, John Holworth. John is the National Communications Director for AMVETS. Uh, we've been talking to him about the Please Stand controversy, as well as uh, this possible military parade that the president has asked the Pentagon to explore the possibility of. Now, John, if people are interested in finding out more about AMVETS, more about the Americanism program that you mentioned and all that good stuff, where do they go to find that out? www.amvets.org or amvets.org slash Americanism. For, um, for information on that program in particular. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You can find out all that information. We want to thank John Holworth for his time today. John, thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Briefing. Hope you're uh, hey. able to get rid of that cold soon. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Eric. <laughs> no problem. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.